everybody. This is Tyler. This is Danny. And this is the Fried Squirms. We're here to get stoned and talk about horror movies, horror-ish movies, <laughs> at least this block horror-ish. This week's Underworld, I got lost there for a second. <laughs> I hit a fucking pothole. And speaking of pot, like I said, we're here to get stoned and talk about horror movies. So, to get our green hits going, Danny, what is this J that I'm about to light up today? So I stopped by Flower, picked up a six-pack of some apple fritter. I believe it is one we've brought over to the show before, but for those who aren't familiar, this is a hybrid strain. It's considered a 50-50 split, and with that being said, it is crossed with the classic sour apple and animal cookie strain. It did make uh, High Times 2016's World's Strongest Strains list for those who like that kind of stuff, but for the most part, you're going to get a nice, you know, flavor of some apple, some fruit, herbal, sweet, and vanilla notes. The aromas are roughly the same, maybe a little bit of earthy aromas. But as far as numbers go, over at Flower, their uh, total cannabinoids are coming in at about 26%. Terpenes are about 1.4. The ones that stand out the most in terms of their profile are going to be limonene, pinene, and mixed in with cumulin, lenalool, myrcene, things like that. So it's got a nice little blend. Sweet. Let's see. This week for you, as I mentioned last week, a new dispo opened up just down the street from me. So I went in there earlier this morning. The Highline Company. I wanted to make sure I got that right. So you got some King Louis the 13th. The links aren't working, so I wasn't able to get the entire terpene breakdown. It is coming in at 32.8 total cannabinoids. Nice. And... Genetics-wise, it is a cross of OG Kush and L.A. Confidential, which I don't know if we've had L.A. Confidential on the show, but I know I've had it before. I've had it over at a different dispensary I used to go to, but I haven't had it since. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a while. Indica leaning, supposed to be pretty piney, nugs are dense, kind of earthy, kind of described as the a little bit of like that harsher indica spicy type flavor. Yeah, it's pretty smooth. Yeah, it's not bad. Uh, yeah, you'll have to let me know what you think because I got a couple for myself for later. Yeah, and it, honestly, just because, like I said, I am ch- checking them out. I got some meow from them that I've been smoking all, all day. That's actually been doing me pretty well. That's why I'm already fucking hitting potholes as we're starting <laughs> in on this fucking thing. I would like to remind everybody, though, about the Patreon. Patreon.com slash fried squirms. Go check it out at the lowest level. $1 a month. You could have been listening to this last week. Mid-tier, you get our Patreon-only episodes where we've been going back been a lot of through fun. Uh, the movies that we've covered from the beginning, movies we haven't, in a lot of cases, watched for six or more years, and seeing what our eyes behold this time <laughs> around. If there's anything else, I mean, sometimes it's the same old, same old, but I think every time we've had a lot of fun doing it. So Yeah, can't complain at this point. And the top level, you get access to things like the Discord, where you could be chatting with us right now, oh, interrupting hello. us as we're trying to get our <laughs> fucking record on. I'm cool with that. Patreon.com slash fried squirms. And with that, I think we're going to get into the guts and bolts of Underworld. Guts and bolts. All right, this week, this guts and bolts, this everything that we're going to be talking about is going to be Underworld from 2003. The guts and bolts is where we get into the who and what and the making of this. Like, I don't know why I'm forgetting how to do this podcast right now, but <laughs> apparently that meow is fucking hitting me worse Mom than I meow. thought. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. You know what? That's a good endorsement for Highline. 
I'm still going to be going to flower all the time. <laughs> but good endorsement for Highline. They're going to start go. getting some of my business, too, because nice. holy shit, they're fucking with me today. <laughs> Guts and bolts, the who and what went into the making of this movie. Spoiler-free, our spoiler-free setup. If you don't know what the fucking Underworld is about, like, how do you not know at this point? I feel like this one kind of weirdly permeated the pop culture a little bit. Even if you're not into it, even if you haven't seen the movie, I feel like most people know that this is the Vampires vs. Werewolves movie. I think so. There's, like, a big family drama and shit going on and like relationships and reveals and like that kind of doesn't matter because this is the vampires versus werewolves action horror. Yeah. When you really boil it down to it, (laughs) that's what you're watching it for. That's what you should be watching it for. Everything else. We'll get to how it made us squeal, but like that's what you watch (laughs) these for. That's true story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Kate Beckinsale's a death dealer and hybrids and i don't want to get too spoilery yeah exactly but uh yeah of course from week to week we like to talk about the cast and crew this week is a gentleman we haven't talked about before but he is the director he's a part of the writing team and that gentleman is len wiseman now a few things of note from him outside of just underworld is he directed underworld evolution he also directed such things as live free or die hard the total recall remake he also directed a few episodes of Sleepy Hollow back in uh, 2013 through 2017. I think he's like an executive producer on some of these, showrunner, Yo, if I'm mistaken. That show was so much better than it had any fucking right to be for how ridiculous the premise was. Did you ever see any of this bullshit? No, I, I never. Mainly because I haven't watched like network TV in a yeah. while, so yeah, I missed out. So when it goes downhill, it goes downhill hard. Like if I remember right, the first two seasons are good. And then season three kind of just blows donkey dick all the way through, but it's a police procedural where the legend of sleepy hollow was true. And Ichabod crane has been transported through time and is helping the police solve mysteries. (laughs) Sounds legit. It's the stupidest fucking premise, but it works because the show realizes how fucking ridiculous it is right, and, and leans way into it. Well, I think you have no other choice, really, unless you want to take yourself serious and bomb. Mm-hmm. So there's that. Two other things of note from Mr. Wiseman. He is uh, responsible for a few episodes of Lucifer from 2015 through 2018 and Swamp Thing back in 2019. All right. I did mention that he is one of the writers on this, along with Kevin Graveau. He and Danny McBride. Now, Danny McBride is not the one I was thinking of earlier. <laughs> right, different Danny McBride. Different Danny McBride, so not the actor, comedian, if you will. Anywho, I want to mention Kevin Gravu really quick. As far as writing credits, he's done a few things such as Ben 10, Ultimate Alien 1 episode, I, Frankenstein, and Mega Man Fully Charged. And as far as Danny McBride, he's pretty much known for the characters he helped create with Underworld because he is responsible for the screenplay on this. All right, we've got cinematographer Tony Pierce Roberts. This is a gentleman's got some really cool films of note. Uh, if you want to go back a little bit, let's see here. Let's start with uh, 1991's White Fang. You might have seen such things as, let's see here, 1997's Jungle to Jungle. How about um, 2001's Kiss Kiss Bang Bang? He's also done 2005's Doom, 2006's Home of the Brave, 2008's Maid of Honor. He's also helped with 2014's Vampire Academy. Yeah, he's got all kinds of cool things. He also won uh, an Academy Award for Best Head Photographer 
for A Room with a View and Howard's End as well. So some pretty big films of note there. All right, we've got editor Martin Hunter. This is a gentleman we've actually talked about before. He edited Event Horizon, which we reviewed oh. back on episode 62. Yeah, when we had our friend Justin on, which was really cool. A few other things of note from Mr. Hunter. He has done such things as, let me scroll back a little bit. 1987, he had a little-known film, a little indie film called Full Metal Jacket. Yeah. <laughs> Some people might have heard of it, right? He did 1995's film, Mortal Kombat. He also helped with The Arrival. He also helped with such things as, uh, let's see, The Chronicles of Riddick, which is really cool. 11-11-11 and White Out. All right, we've got music by Paul Hasslinger which was a former member of a really cool prog rock band called Tangerine Dream. But uh, as far as just scoring goes, a few things of note from him. Uh, he helped with 2002's Blue Crush. I think we mentioned that oh. not too long ago. Mm-hmm. Um, he helped with 2004's The Girl Next Door, which is a pretty good film. Into the Blue. He composed the music for Crank. I like Into the Blue. Okay, cool. Um, oh, and Crank is fucking baller. I tell you one that would be a lot of fun somewhere down the road to do is a 2007 film starring Kate Beckinsale, and that is Vacancy. Oh, okay. Yeah, pretty decent little film. Uh, he did the remake of Prom Night from 2008, uh, Death Race. I forgot that there was a remake of Prom Night in 2008. Yeah, dude. He did uh, Need for Speed Undercover, Underworld Rise of the Lycans, mm-hmm. X-Men Origins Wolverine. Yeah, The Three Musketeers, all kinds of cool films, man. He's still doing a bunch of stuff, man. All right, so moving forward, we've got a shit ton of special effects teams. I don't want to go too in-depth because, like, kind of like last week, a lot of international teams on board. All right, we've got producers Tom Rosenberg, Gary Lucassi, and Richard Wright. Production companies are Lakeshore Entertainment, Screen Gems, Subterranean Productions, UK Limited, and Underworld Productions, GmbH. All right, with distributors for this were Screen Gems for the 2003 United States theatrical release and Entertainment Film Distributors help with the 2003 United Kingdom theatrical release. Had a few uh, different release dates, September 8th, 2003, in Canada at the Toronto International Film Festival and September 19th, 2003, here in the States and in the UK. Had an estimated budget of about $22 million. It grossed about 95.7, so not too bad. And the tagline I got for this is an immortal battle for supremacy. I guess we can talk about that later. Yeah. <laughs> Actors, right? Mm-hmm. So we do have quite a few. I'll try not to get it caught up too much in some of these credits, but I've already mentioned Kate Beckinsale. She plays the role of Celine. She is one of what they call the, was it? Um, Death Dealers. Death Dealers, yeah. I was trying to think of it right on top of my head. So with that being said, I guess a few things of note from Kate Beckinsale, eh? Uh, Pearl Harbor. Yeah, she was in Pearl Harbor. Let's see here. Uh, Serendipity. I think I remember seeing her in that. Click. Right? She was in Van Helsing. Click, I saw in the theaters. That's a good film, actually. I actually really enjoy that movie. It kind of gets a lot more hate than it should. I agree, man. It's I think actually it gets, a really good film. I think it gets lumped in with all of the, the bad Adam Sandler movies, and it's not. I don't agree with that at all. I don't think, I think it it's is. a pretty decent film. I will say that the thing that took me out of that movie the most is Adam Sandler landing Kate Beckinsale. Well, well it's Adam Sandler, so <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, know, you can't fault him. Uh, good on him. All right. Another one, she was in The Aviator, pretty decent film. See, I've already mentioned Vacancy. There is, I mean, she's in all these underworld films, too. I have to mention that because she reprises her role. She was also in Total Recall, which is really cool. She does with Underworld what uh, Mila did with Resident Evil. Okay, now, I know we talked about this after the fact, 
We didn't disclaim or not that we had to. Oh, because they both have one other thing in common. Don't well, that's kind of funny. Yes. Now that we doing these back to back, you can't help but notice it. Yeah, we didn't mention it last <laughs> time, but Mila Jovovich met her husband on the set of Resident Evil. Right. Because her husband ended up being Paul W.F. Sanderson. Yeah, that's funny. Did Beckinsale and Weissman meet on this set? Yeah, so <laughs> if, I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, the, the way the story goes is that she and Michael Sheen were partners going into the filming of this, I believe. And oh. like they were on the, basically on the, the end of their relationship, right? And she met Lynn Wiseman on the set of this. Yeah, started a relationship. They've got married, had children. I, I think she and, if I'm not mistaken, me, uh, she and Michael Sheen had a, a child together too, who stars in a flashback sequence in one of the sequels. Oh, okay. Maybe the prequel, something like that. So yeah, it's kind of neat. So anyhow, yeah, Kate Beckinsale, like I said, we have to introduce her. <laughs> All right. Moving forward, I've got Scott Stapp. Scott Stapp, Stephen. <laughs> All right. Can you pick some water You know, when you, when you had mentioned that when we did, uh, which, of course, he plays Michael Corbin in this film, but we talked about him back on episode 213 when we reviewed The Strangers, and you had mentioned that, right? And then looking at him in this film, I was like, oh, yeah, Dead Ringer. Yeah, Holy dude, shit. Scott Stapp is basically in this movie, wow. right? Oh, yeah, I couldn't help it. Like, yeah, man, good night, dude. Yeah, body double. All right, so a few other things of note from Scott Stapp. Speedman. <laughs> the Strangers. Uh, yeah, exactly. The Strangers. He was actually in Felicity, the television mm. show from 1998 through 2002. The film Duets, which is really neat. He was in the film Dark Blue, Triple X, State of the Union. He also was in Underworld Evolution. He was in the Animal Kingdom television show from 2016 through 2018, and then again in 2022. Grey's Anatomy from 2018, and then again from 2021 through 2023. And a David Cronenberg film more recently, Crimes of the Future. Okay. Yeah, so good on him. All right, here's another gentleman we've talked about before. Bill Nighy plays the role of Victor. We talked about him back on episode 115 for Shaun of the Dead. All right, so with that being said, Bill Nighy. Um, I know he's done a lot of stage, but I'm going to more or less talk about his film for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. But he was in The Curse of the Pink Panther way back in 1983, which is really cool. He was in Phantom of the Opera from 1989. Um, and film in 1996, I know got some uh, some buzz, was Indian Summer, which is a U.K. film, if I'm not mistaken. But if you move forward a little bit, I mean, let's get some some big hitters here. He was in Love Actually. We already talked about Shaun of the Dead. How about Davy Jones in Pirates of the Caribbean, yep. Dead Man's Chest, right, which is really cool. He was also in The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Slard Bart Fast. Yeah, which is really neat. He was in Valkyrie, which I think is really cool. You want to have a good cry? You want to have a good cry? Go watch the Van Gogh episode of Doctor Who that he appears in. Oh, nice. Oh, I know you mentioned that. Yeah. Oof. I know you mentioned that. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, he's also in Total Recall. No big surprise there. And a film that I always recommend itself and watch it, but it's called The Best Exotic Marigold Hotel. Mm. That's really good. All right. I mean, he's been in a, a slew of other things, but, you know, we're pushed for time here. <laughs> There's a lot of people in this film. Uh, speaking of another person who's got some awesome credits, how about Michael Sheen? Plays the role of Lucien. It blows my mind that, like, this is the first time I saw Michael Sheen. But now, what, like, when I think of him, I think of him as a zero fail from Good Omens, which is a much, much, much different role. <laughs> I know that's why I'm, and I'm just looking at, like, some of these things here. I know he was in a Kingdom of Heaven, he was in the League of Gentlemen's Apocalypse. 
He was in 2006's The Queen, where he played Tony Blair. He got a lot of recognition for that. 2008's Frost Nixon. I think they used some archival footage in Rise of the Lycans for him. He was in The Twilight Saga New Moon as Aro, right? Alice in Wonderland. He was in Tron Legacy. Kill the Messenger. Yeah, Alice's Looking Glass. He's been in a ton of stuff, dude. Doolittle. Slaughterhouse Rules. Yeah, like he's been in a tele- television as well. Masters of Sex, which was on Showtime for a while. I know they were plugging that show for a long time when I was working over at uh, DirecTV. So yeah, <laughs> a lot of cool stuff there. All right, we've got Shane Brawley plays the role of Craven. A few things of note from him. He was in Underworld Evolution and in the film Spread. We've got Irvin Lader plays the role of Singe. I don't know if it's Singe or Singe. Anywho, mm. uh, a few mm. things of note from him. This is really interesting. He was in Das Boot, which is interesting within itself. But he's in a little film from, I think it's 1983, called Angst or Angst. Angst, yeah. yeah. Wow, I actually watched that about a year or so ago. Wow, that movie's wild. Well, it's one that we're Ooh. coming up on at some point. Yeah, it's, like it's we've brought it up before in between episodes when we're talking about different things we could hit. And you so. want to watch a wild film? That's that's definitely one. Anywho, he was in the Three Musketeers. He was also in Schindler's List and a little film called Taxidermia. All right, we've got Sophia Miles plays the role of Erica. She's another one of the vampires. Uh, let's see here. She is in the film From Hell from 2001. Can't recommend that enough. She was in Tristan and Isolé, which I think that stars James Franco, which is interesting. Yeah. yeah. She was in 2006's Dracula and Art School Confidential. She was in A Transformers Age of Extinction, which is really neat. Oh, I thought she looked familiar. Okay, she's in a very memorable episode of Doctor Who as well, actually. Yeah, actually, I mean, go figure. Like, everybody you've named so far has been in really good Doctor Who episodes. I mean, it makes sense. Except for Scott Speedman. (laughs) So far, right? (laughs) Yeah. Give him a a chance. (laughs) Because she was the Madame du Pompadour in a really good David Tennant episode. And Michael Sheen did the voice for a computer named House in an episode that was written by Neil Gaiman called The Doctor's Wife. That really is, cool. holy shit, fantastic. Uh, there's a show I've been kind of curious about. It's called The Discovery of Witches. If I'm not mistaken, I, I know it is for sure. It's on Shudder. It's a TV show. But, mm. uh, yeah, it looks kind of interesting. She's been in that for uh, eight episodes from 2018 through 2021. And uh, not surprising, but she was in a few music videos. One notably, Bush's Inflatable. 2002, which is really neat. All right, moving forward, we've got Robbie Gee plays the role of Khan. He is kind of like a, a guy who helps Celine mostly with arms and stuff like that. A little bit later on in the film. Anywho, a few things to note from him. He was actually in Snatch as Vinny, which is really cool. He was in Mean Machine from 2001. He was also in Rolling with the Nines. He was in a montage as Shrimper in Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest, which is really neat. He was also in uh, 2008 Hush. Uh, he was in Paddington Part 2 as Mr. Barnes and Zack Snyder's Justice League as a task force lead, which is really neat. Bunch of television as well. All right, we've got Kevin Gravu, which we mentioned earlier was one of the writers. He plays Rays in this film. So I've actually thought that this guy is really neat for a long time. We'll get into it more later, but like, I kind of actually really dig this movie and after watching it one time i actually did a really like deep dive there's no enhancements that's his voice i read about that as well it's really neat it is actually very rare to have a natural speaking bass voice that damn bass like so low on the octave scale 
solo, but he's also, he's a super nerd, but he's also really fucking smart. Before he kind of had his breakout and ended up being like, well, I guess this is how I'm making my living now. He was working on getting his master's in genetic engineering. He has a degree in microbiology and minors in chemistry and psychology. Yeah, that's, that's a brainiac right there. Wow. Microbiology. Yeah. Said psychology. And apparently all the science, like, he wrote the script, but all the science stuff in the script came from him. That's really cool. Like, irradiating the, the shit so that it's UV bullets and shit. Like, theoretically, that would work. I mean, I like it. It's unique, right? Yeah. And it's based on science, so I'll take it. Hard At least theoret- I think it would theoretically well, work. Yeah, even theoretically. If not, he's so. making me believe it would work, so good yeah, on yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Movie magic at his best, yeah. nothing else. <laughs> it's just another type of radiation, so you would just have to radi- you know, radiate it in a specific way. Yeah, um, if I'm not mistaken, too, like, he he does like comic book stuff, too, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah, he does. That's really cool. All right, so a few things of note I did want to mention uh, for him is, I mean, he does like a lot of like... Voice work? I mean, he does a lot of voice work, <laughs> but he also just kind of like... Not necessarily an extra, but he's like, he's kind of like he's the big guy in the background. Yeah, essentially, because when you look he's at his big, roles, scary black guy, right? I mean, he's a naked With gun, a thirty-three and a third, low voice, prison guard, bomb squad, SWAT officer, henchman, false guard, roadblock officer, bodyguard, thug, guard. I mean, yeah. Leon Spinks, <laughs> right? <laughs> so what I'm getting is, that is like a lot of these movies are really cool movies, but he, if you don't look for them, you're probably going to miss them. So, I mean, I'll just name a few, right? Mostly the 90s. He was in Speed. He was in The Mask. He was in Stargate. He was in Congo. Showgirls. Batman Forever. The Great White Hype. But he's in like 10 seconds of each one of these. Charlie's Angels. Planet of the Apes. Men in Black 2. Cradle to the Grave. Hulk. So I'm like, well, if you're going to pick a film, holy shit. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, yeah. And a lot of television, like I said, a lot of voice work. Really cool, man. Video games as well. All right. We've got... Two more people, well, actually three more people in that rounds out our cast and crew. I've got Zeta Gorick, plays the role of Melia. A few things of note from her. She was in 8mm Part 2 in Underworld Evolution. We have Scott McElroy, plays the role of Soren, right? He was, uh, if I'm not mistaken, that's the guy with the whips. Yes, the yep, yep, okay. yep. He was in The Mask. He was in Bloodsport Part 3 and Underworld Evolution. Now, this guy does mostly stunt work, if I'm not mistaken. And we have Wentworth Miller, plays the role of Adam Lockwood, who is like the roommate of uh, Scott Stapp's character. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, a few things I've known from him. He's really cool. He was in the, the movie Blood Creek. I think most notably people are going to recognize him if you ever watched Prison Break, because he was one of the leads, if not the lead in that he was also Captain Cold in The Flash and Legends of Tomorrow. He is the most enjoyable part of the first season of Legends of Tomorrow, which ended up being a really good show, despite the bad first season. Yeah, and he also uh, makes an appearance in Resident Evil Afterlife, which is really cool as well. So, yeah, that rounds out our cast and crew. You gave us a brief setup. Should give our listeners some warnings. Warnings? Um... A lot of gunplay. Yeah, lots of gunplay. Some language and stuff like that. Some language, a little bit of blood. Not really much in the way of what I would consider actual gore. No, I mean, there's some... uh, I'm trying to think of the best way to put it, like body mutilation and stuff. Yeah. And look, werewolves are in it, so you have body transformation. Right. I mean, you're going to see some body parts get mangled and things like that, too. But it's not... I mean, it's mostly CG, but you you get it. 
I mean, it's it's really not that extreme or anything. No, it's not. It's, not. it's really not. It's it's kind of in a, in a way a little bit like last week. It kind of leans a little bit more on the action side, which is okay. Mm-hmm. It's still fun. Exactly. I guess that's about it. So let's just find out how Underworld made us squeal. How does that make you squeal? All right, man. Underworld 2003. How did it make us squeal? I'm not going to lie. About two thirds of this movie, I actually really kind of fucking dig. No. All right. I don't want to jump around too much thinking about this film right now. But, Mm -hmm. you know, with history, if we're going to go into that angle with it. It's like, I don't have much of one, but I did see this one. I didn't see it at the theater, but I did remember watching it with a, a really good buddy of mine because he likes, you know, action, horror, etc. So, yeah, we checked this out back probably like 2004 or five, somewhere around there. I did see this in theaters. I just realized that I forgot that I was going to go take a look because I might still have the ticket stub for uh, this nice. one. Oh, yeah. I could probably tell you what day that I saw this on. Um, no, that's legit because I've seen your band. Yeah. <laughs> I might grab it like halfway through and just rifle through it here in a, really in a cool. few minutes to see if I do have it or not. Let's see. This came out in 2003. What time of year did we say 2003? September. September. So yeah, I would have been like. I would have been in New York. I would have been 15 by the time. We're just, what, four years after the Matrix. So what, like a year probably after the Matrix sequel? Yeah, I can't remember how many years I there were right, between them. There. but. Yeah. So this kind of action was all I wanted to see in the fucking world. It was even better for me because, like, I love fucking computer shit, but not as much as I love stupid fucking supernatural bullshit. So Vampires vs. Werewolves was right up my fucking alley. No, it's kind of a nice blend, right? And Kate Beckinsale, I get to look at her the entire movie. Sign me up. Dude, I was about this movie. I'm still kind of about this movie. It's a fun... Look... This gets thrown into the action horror subgenre. I am loath to call it any kind of horror. It is supernatural action. Yeah, I agree with that. I think you kind of have to label it as horror because yeah. just the concept of vampires and werewolves kind of squicks some people out because horror is so fucking subjective. Absolutely. You say at best in this realm, yeah, supernatural slash monster more. More so than horror, mm-hmm. in that sense. It's weird because it's basically just an action movie where the consequence is a little bit higher stakes. Like most action movies, if you lose, you either just get knocked out or get shot. And in this case, you might have your throat ripped out or your face bitten off. That's oh, the yeah, biggest that's, difference. It's an imminent threat, without a doubt, yeah. But that's the biggest difference. But fuck, I kind of dig it. But you know what? In retrospect, I'm not going to say this movie needs to be an hour and a half, but it doesn't need to be two hours. Yeah, two hours is a little bit long for this film. And it makes me wonder, too, like, you know they had to edit shit down. Yeah. (laughs) You know they did. You know they did. So with that being said, like, man, but knowing that, right, like knowing that, too, a little bit, I was like, trying to research a little bit about the characters and and because of that I read a little a little bit too much like some spoilers and shit I was like I was about to say did you ever watch any of the sequels no, I don't think I ever did because I watched about up it. to the prequel okay I don't think I saw I, you know, any of the ones after that I like remember Blood when, Wars and I remember when uh, Rona Mitra yeah appeared and I think that's that's I the may prequel ha- you know I may have 
Rona Mitra plays Celine in the prequel. Right, right. I was like, yeah. I may have, because I know she was initially wanted mm-hmm. for this part of Celine, but of course it went to Kate. Don't some of the DVD cuts actually use the, instead of the flashback sequences that were in the original cut, I think they cut in oh, right. from um, Rise of the Lycans, oh, no, so that it that. is Rona Mitra, something really like cool. that. I didn't know that, but that's that's really interesting. So, uh, yeah, anywho, I don't know, I kind of lost my train of thought there. <laughs> <laughs> Stoned. Oh yeah, yeah. I sorry. I just read it right here. Yeah, there's a flashback in this first movie. Sonia is played by Jasmine Domic, but Rona Mitra plays her in that same role in the prequel. So some newer pressings of the first movie just substitute in the Rona Mitra instead. Gotcha. I remember what I wanted to say because like, mm-hmm. where do I? All right, we were talking about, um, in this case, like kind of what I came away a little bit without going into a lot of depth was some of the lore in this film and what this film was doing a little bit too was interspersing a little bit of like, but the flashback sequences, right? They're giving you little pits of history mm-hmm. with characters and they're also alluding to other characters to come as well. One I didn't realize has like a huge significance coming up without spoiling anything, but I was like, oh, that's really interesting because it starts to make more sense of, like, the um, common ancestor, right, that they share, what they talk about in this film. Corvinus, yeah. Right, and then they also allude to some of Victor's history, which mm-hmm. I read a little bit more about, the reason why Celine is a death dealer, et cetera, et cetera. So I was like, okay, this is kind of cool. I, I can get down with this because there's actually some well, really some of that they reveal in this. Right. And uh, and from what I understand, too, is like, I guess the more you get into this franchise, the more it reveals itself with some of these other characters in history, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm like, I can get on board with that. That's really cool. So knowing that, I didn't know that when this film first came out. I wasn't even thinking about that when I went into this film. But When was the last time we talked about Dracula? Ooh, it's been a little while. Um, or what was the episode that I went off on that big Dracula history lesson? Shit. I'd have to think about that one. I don't know if it was vampires or Dracula. It was one kind of recently where I went off on the whole... I don't think, anyway. it, was, I don't think it was Dracula Dead and Loving It. That no, would have been like no. one of the last ones. <laughs> anyway, it was... God, there was some movie where I was commenting on the... Why can't I remember what it is? Oh, it was when we did a Transylvania 6 5000. Oh, Oh, yeah. And I was commenting on some of the kind of deep cut Hungarian and like actual historical stuff that they kind mm-hmm. of imply in that movie. So Corvinus was Hungarian yeah, I and would have been in Vlad's time, which makes this even more interesting to me. Yes, because it's like drawing from that region without directly saying the name Dracula or anything like yeah. that. You know, it's like, oh, because they were talking about Hunyadi. In Transylvania 6 5000. And so when you start getting mm. into yeah, Hunyadi, uh, the White Knight of Hungary and stuff, and how his history intertwines with Vlad Tepish's, well, in that whole everything is also Matthew Corvinus. That's really cool, isn't it? I'm like, that is, it's interesting when you start thinking about that and how the people on board is like, oh, they weren't just like, concocting some horseshit story about, yeah, like you said, vampires versus werewolves. It's like, no, this There's is actually a little well bit of thought, thought out. There's some thought there. And I can, that's where I'm like, I can appreciate that because with that equipped, 
I'm like, it actually makes me want to watch some more of these films, to be honest. Like, we've talked about this in the past, and we'll both admit that we're not experts, but because the amount of times that we've looked into movies about werewolves and movies about vampires and just the different routes that our research has led us down, it seems like, depending on the time and area, depending on the time in history and the location in Europe, they were basically the same thing. Yeah. So That's having them point. both come from the same family is kind of a neat nod to that, too. I think so. It's like, yeah, they don't have to necessarily be, like, two separate entities. You know what I mean? It's like, kind of like, don't go down that road. But it, it it's still cool. Like It's a cool concept to intersperse with history and, and all that fun stuff. They do it kind of neatly here. And although it was obviously always a thing, this is the movie that kicked off, like, anything where there's vampires versus, like... yeah. They I just naturally are kind of versus werewolves now. Yeah. Ever since this movie. Yeah, somebody had us throw the first punch, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Set the first stone. I feel like it's always kind of been a thing. Way before this movie, like there's yeah. discussions like that you have with your friends on the fucking playground. Exactly. And shit. I mean, it's kind of the same thing. Like Freddy versus Jason. We didn't finally get until twenty plus years later, but th- we still got it. That's the point. Right. But they like somebody had to lay the foundation. Exactly. Like the foundation was there. In everybody's childhood. Right. And they were like, well, we're going to turn that into something. Yeah, no, I'm glad somebody, yeah, somebody finally put the the footprint down. I was like, here it is. Let's go ahead and do it. That being said, I dig this movie. I love the concept behind it. I love that they put more thought than they really needed to into this movie. Yeah, I agree with that, too. It's about 20 minutes too long. Yeah, I'm trying to think, like, there is some subplot stuff that probably could have been cut short or, like, not even been, like, fucked with. Maybe this early on, too. I Like, that's the thing. Like, I don't know where I would cut it, but I do feel like this movie is trying to have too much, almost like Shakespearean drama mm. in the middle with all the fucking vampire There politic. is a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of high drama, like, so with characters that we really don't know much about. Like, for instance, the whole Amelia character, it's like, just reading about her, is like, oh, she's an elder and she's... One of the three original, I guess. I know that's spoiling a lot, but where that's this is where we're at. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh well, she just gets fucking got like that in this film, <laughs> you know. And you don't think much of it, other than like that was a subplot that leads into a whole another set of events that it's supposed to help kick off things in this film. Mm-hmm. But they've already had things thought out, I guess, before and after these events. Yeah. So I mean, that's in a sense, once again, like last week. It's a precursor, even though we're kind of thrust in the middle of a story. It's weird. It's a precursor, and but then the there's also story, a prequel. It? Yeah, yeah, it's like it's in the middle of another story. <laughs> yeah, you're right. So, I mean, it's it's kind of clever, because I don't know, we've talked it's about just, a film It's not a precursor, sense. it's an opening chapter. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I want to say precursor. But yeah, it's kind of somewhere in the midst of all these other stories kind of combining or merging. Mm-hmm. And I like that. I think it's kind of interesting. It definitely sets up hard for the fact that there's more to come at the end. They basically all but say, but, like, there's going to be more shit. I mean, basically. Yeah. But honestly, if this movie wouldn't have been successful and there only would have been this one, I'd still be pretty happy with yeah, it. Yeah, because it, it would have left me with, like, man, what the what could have been. Like, man, there could have been some really cool stuff because they set up some really interesting ideas in this film. And if you pay attention to the characters and their relationships and you know, the stakes at play here and you know, all this other betrayal and all this other stuff. It's like, man, there's some pretty thick shit going on. It's pretty good. 
Now, I will say there's a couple of things that I definitely didn't realize watching this the first time as a 15 year old mm -hmm. and probably not even when I like rewatched it later in like my 20s and shit. First off, this movie owes a lot to the crow. I think visually and especially the, with yeah. the way that they do a lot of the outside shit and like the rain in the city and just the outlook of the city. And I don't know if that was something they consciously thought about, but after rewatching this, I was like, <laughs> fuck, me, this is the crow all over the place. Even more than that, of course, it is very much trying to be the Matrix because it came out in that time period. I couldn't help but notice that as well. I was like, dude, aesthetically, even some of the camera work. I think the use of like kind of the time. pseudo bullet time shit. And right. Yeah, that's what I was going to like, it's the use of that. And I also think it's just the clothing aesthetic as well. You know, the gunplay, the super ominous. heavy blue filter. Right. It's like, there's certain things you can't, but they were using it to their advantage as well. It wasn't like a knockoff per se. I mean, yeah, they you were, always know what movie you're watching. Yeah, exactly, dude. And it's okay. It looked good. You kind of mentioned, I think it was, Maybe last week or another time too, where one of the vampire characters, oh, no, uh, Solomon, Solomon Kane, mm, mm -hmm. was not necessarily the archetype, but he kind of set some of the, um, I don't know, maybe maybe it is like prototype or. Yeah, look, if you're going to be hunting, maybe if you're going to be hunting supernatural creatures, you wear a long coat because of Solomon Kane. I remember you were saying that. And I was like, oh, that's interesting because I can kind of see it here as well. Like, you can't help but notice. This is like the cyberpunk version of it. Yeah, and I'm okay with that. Like, I'm, I'm down with that. This is the turn of the century, uh, turn of the millennium for that matter. But the thing kind I, of futuristic shit. The thing I definitely did not catch till this time around, and I, I caught it my first time watching it this weekend and basically confirmed it with some interviews that I read with Kevin, is the racial subtext. Oh, yeah. And, like, he partially based this on his experiences with interracial dating. Mm. And if you think about how oh, mad... I've written, okay. If you think about how yeah. mad the dad is getting about race mixing and the fact yeah. that they literally kept the werewolves as slaves. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see that for sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? Cleverly disguised as, you know, a creature feature, mm -hmm. in a sense, you know. And good on him. And, you know, in terms of, of weaving that narrative... You know, in the, in the stories. So I was like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. They're actually like, oh, the vampires are fucking white nationalists. This is fucked up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a sense of that. I mean, even like, like the aristocracy, you get like, like plantation owners and shit. Mm -hmm. That kind of stuff. I could see it for sure. All right. Underworld universe. You want to be a vampire or a werewolf? In this sense? Wow. I'd almost want to be a lichen in this one. I think so, right? Yeah. In this universe. I mean, the death dealers and stuff are pretty cool, but I'm like, they're also kind of kind of bullshit, if you think about, like, they're up to a certain point, with, especially with Victor. The werewolves are so much stronger in this movie that Damn. you forget that the vampires technically also have super strength in this movie. That's a good point. There's some shit that they pull off where, like, that was pretty dope. <laughs> yeah. But then I'm like, these werewolves are some other shit, man. They're not the best-looking werewolves, I'll say that, but no. they're not the worst-looking either. I'm pretty impressed by their transformation sequences. It looks smooth. It was There's a lot of practical mixed in with that. Yeah, and I'm okay with that. Like, it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't look bad. I mean, granted the time period and stuff, it's not the worst we've ever seen. No. It won't be the either. I would say especially smooth for the time period. Yeah, no, it is very, you're right, there's a very smooth transition. Yeah. I was actually expecting that part to be what aged the Oof. worst. Because typically it is. 
And you know what? A lot of the effect shots were really good. Lucian yeah. pushing out the fucking Dude, bullets. That was dope. That was really good, that, right? I really liked that. No, I was thinking of that. I was like, that's some of the stuff in the film, you know, I know we like as horror fans, the how do they pull the, the blood and guts part off, you know? Mm -hmm. And like, yeah, seeing him push those bullets, I was like, ah, I'm always mad at it. It looked no. good as fuck. It looked good. Yeah, I'm like, I'm for it. So if you're going to highlight something like that, I can't remember if they put that in the trailer or not or anything like that, but it's like, it oh, looked yeah, good. I don't remember, but. Look good, regardless. Yeah, I agree with you there. It's still, dude, after after having rewatched Good Omens not all that long ago, it is so weird fucking seeing Michael Sheen <laughs> as Lucian in this movie. <laughs> as a bad guy like that. He is definitely I mean, not the. Bad, but phew, he's not bad. Definitely yeah. not a zero fail. Yeah, it, it's it's funny, man. It's funny. Yeah, given like I said, given this mm -hmm. is not necessarily early in his career, but this is like right on the cusp of him breaking out. I'm not sure if I count this as a demerit against the movie, but it is impossible to not notice once you've noticed it the first time. This movie has maybe one of the most egregious uses of bottomless magazines in their guns. Oh yeah. Of any movie ever. <laughs> they just Celine is just dumping rounds. Like five thousand rounds from her automatic pistols before she has to reload. And she only ever has to reload when it's dramatically important. Yeah. I, and I think that's where it lends its hand a little bit more in that action sense where you kind of throw the logic out the window. I would feel like even 90% of action movies reload more than this movie, though. I think you're right. Yeah, I think you're right. For every time that she's reloaded or she's pulled her mag out, it's because it's of some kind of significance. It's either high drama, you know, like mm -hmm. a tense moment, last second kind of shit, or they're showing off what kind of rounds they've got. Yeah. Other than that... She's just spitting fucking bullets. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Willie is like, damn, girl. She's like, I am going to cut through the floor with this yeah. bullshit and fall down. And that is one of the scenes I do remember from the trailer and being like, what? Shit. You can do that? Like, Which, by the way, you can't do that. Like, but damn, Gunkata. To chill. <laughs> I think Mythbusters actually tested that one. Yeah? Yeah. That was pretty, I mean, all that stuff, yeah. I mean, you have to take it with a grain of salt, of course, but not it's fine. Not with the nine mils that she was no using. No way, dude. No. No. That's going to take some heavy cowl, I would imagine. Yeah. yeah, bigger than a nine millimeter. Get out of here. I mean, it looks good for what it served its purpose for, but um, yeah, I'd say most of the stuff that I got out of this film was more of the story, mm. or not. Like, there was some really cool stuff that they were doing in the film. I really liked, but I didn't feel like that was necessarily the thing that pulled me in. Was the not the action beats? It was more of like what this story is about. Because it's it's a little bit deeper than you would think about it being right and it does get dumber as the series goes on even though they you know they throw in more and more detail uh, yeah, and it does uh, evolve to being a actually a weirdly fleshed out universe where you know a lot of what went on and who what happened to who and the different history and yeah, shit I'm, i think that's really neat and but it does manage to somehow get dumber at the same time yeah <laughs> i mean at a certain point there like i said there's a point of diminishing returns you know mm -hmm. it just happens so that's okay. I don't know where at in the series. I haven't really kept up with it that The that action much. gets pretty dope, though. Like, Celine only becomes more and more badass as it goes on. Yeah, like, I'm she cool takes her biggest L's in this movie. Yeah, well, if that's the case, whew, I would, I'd like to see more. Yeah. <laughs> there, all right. There is a sequence, man, I thought was fucking hilarious, right? 
she snatches was his Michael, yeah, right, Scott Speedman's character, away from uh, Lucien in the elevator after he gets bit, right? Mm-hmm. And then Michael Sheen chases him. You know, he's sticking that blade. He's through. obviously not actually really trying to hurt either of them. No, but I, it's just after she gets, you know, boom, she gets got in the shoulder. Scott Speedman being, I guess, like a practicing nurse, doctor, whatever mm-hmm. the fuck he is. They wind up flipping, right? Long story short, they wind up flipping. And then it wasn't long after that, they're back in a car together. And I'm like, I wonder if she's going to flip again. Because <laughs> that would have been fucking hilarious if that would have happened. Dude, there was, I feel like I never had noticed this before, but it had uh-huh. me fucking rolling. But there's the part where she wakes up Bill Nye, mm-hmm. right? And. He's, you know, he's getting fucking revived and she's off doing her shit with Scott Speedman and whatever. And she's getting called in for her first official audience now that he's awakened again. Okay. And on her way in, like, Craven's trying to tell her what to say, right? He's like, I had all these plans for us. Just tell him this. Just tell him that. And she fucking throat punches him and just walks <laughs> in. <laughs> yeah. There's some funny shit that happens in this film. She's just like, I'm not listening to this shit, and throat punches him. <laughs> the whole point, too, of their relationship, if you will is that he was supposed to be, like, courting her to some extent where he thought that was going to be his queen or something of that yeah. extent. But she's like, I have none of that shit. She's like, Obviously. I just like doing this job. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, she's like, I don't even really care about being a vampire. I just am really good at doing this, and I want to keep doing this. Yeah, and so she does. She has no time for the bullshit. Mm-hmm. No time for that stuff. But you're right. She fucking cuts him off at every chance she gets, and that's really cool. That's funny. And then, of course, she finds out the reason she thought she was doing it was all a lie. Wow. I know. And that's the part that's like, whew. that's where that's better stuff executed than most. I, t- I totally agree. It was like, even though you kind of see these betrayals being set up, I even think there's a moment with the Michael Sheen and that fucking blade. That's kind of a, mm. a foreshadowing moment in a sense with Celine and Victor, mm-hmm. you know, I'm like, they do some things kind of slightly, even though we things we've seen, Time and time again, it's just how they incorporate it and how they use it. And I think that's the part that's like, okay, that you, like you were saying earlier, they put a little bit more thought into this film than probably they needed to. But I think it's for the benefit of fans who enjoy that kind of stuff. Yeah, I agree. Um, God, I'm trying to think what. Honestly, just both of the specialized bullets. Yeah, no, super like, fucking cool ideas. That looks good too. Um, even even Michael Speedman like transforming into his hybrid self. I do feel like that's a little bit of a letdown. It, I feel like a hybrid is. should look cooler than that. Yeah, and I was like, well, it's not necessarily the aesthetics that look good. I think it's the his capabilities. His capabilities are dope. Yeah, because I mean, you're a hybrid. You can do. You would imagine a little bit of both. Yeah, I mean, he's running around just fucking up people hand to hand. I liked. I like where he first like a. Uh, Encounter. Well, I say first because I don't know if it was a first encounter, but when they face off, he and Victor, mm-hmm. and he kind of he's in front of Victor, and then Victor kind of gets and he's already behind him. You're like, uh oh, <laughs> he might get fucked up. Although I will say, Victor just fucking lifted up that one like and that was and big just, dude too, wasn't it? Oh, was Ray's? that Ray's? Yeah, because yeah. Ray's just wasted mm-hmm. homeboy Soren. And Which, that's when they walked in. I'm like, okay, no, he fucked him up. <laughs> I love that. God, I love that scene because it's kind of like, it's almost like their Indiana Jones moment. 
mm-hmm. right? But now you now after what you said in context, you're like, oof. Right? But how cool did those whips look? They Dude, look how fucking, fucking dope did that look? Like? Yeah, a lot of this shit looked good, man. Like, oh, they look killer. I mean, if you're going to do something like that, you want to make it look decent, if nothing else. Well, I feel like that and the Celine Victor face-off move a little bit, in a good way, away from trying to copy the Matrix mm. and instead lean a lot more into, like, Manga and anime. Yes, I, I think it's a good way of thinking like graphic novel, yeah, anime. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Man. Uh, both they, of yeah, those sequences play out more in that direction, in my opinion. Yes, where rather than just trying to be a legit, like Celine's first fucking gunfight is almost just a Matrix knockoff, even the way yeah. she's hiding behind the pillars and shit. Like, yeah, if, if that's not like a nod or anything, mm-hmm. yeah, you're right, but. Like we, uh, we, what you were saying, more of the seeing her with her with the sword play and shit like that, being a, more capable in those moments. I think it gives it a different dynamic. Hmm. Um. Dude, I just think it's actually kind of a cool fucking universe. I I agree, man. Like I didn't know exactly, and and that's a kind of a good thing too. Is like I don't try to put any expectations on any of this stuff going into it, even if I have seen it. If I haven't seen it, it's like just you know just enjoy the ride. And in this case, I was like, man, actually, I probably wouldn't have enjoyed it as much back then because I'm not paying attention. I probably would have picked up on some subtle things, but mm-hmm. I don't put as much thought into it back then as I do now. So I come away with a little bit more of what they're trying to convey to us as an audience. So another thing that was a trailer moment that I remember thinking was super cool at the time, and but now I watch it and I'm like, this is kind of dumb. This is style over <laughs> substance. Yeah. Her fucking ninja blade things. Yeah, that can only wound because of how thick they get in the middle and <laughs> stop themselves from going all the way in. Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> they're like giant hockey pucks that tiny blades come out of. Like they're all metal and silver and shit. Yeah. But like that's it's not any thinner than that. They're like hockey puck thickness. You would want something along the terms of uh, if they're going to do that, you want them to go through the body. Kind of like you, yeah, you want to hit phantasm. like organs and shit, right? Like yeah. that's how you're gonna actually. Do you want that thing to still keep rotating? Yeah, not just lodge itself. And especially, it and especially because there's not, it doesn't seem like there's instances where they're just looking to wound lichens. No, they're because trying to do... the lichens are fucking scarily powerful, as we've already said yeah, earlier. These dudes are slick, dude. If they get a hold of a vampire, it's the not good for the vampire. Fucked. Vampire's fucked. And these lichens can shrug off a lot of fucking damage in this movie. Yeah. And they're quick to heal, too. I noticed mm-hmm. that, too, even after Celine, you know, wakes up from getting injured. And the, you see her wound. The vamps are quick, too, as long as they can feed. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, lichens, boom. No yeah, time. the lichens are just like... No time. Shrug that shit I'll feed right later, off. bro. <laughs> yeah, I'm good. I'm sure I'm going to be tired later, but right now, yeah. I'm ready to fucking kill you. I, I do like the, the incorporation, too, of... Uh, I know we've probably already said it, but I like the incorporation of that whole why they're pursuing Michael, why, you know, it's not just blood. It's No, he's a part of this bloodline that's super important as this story progresses. Yeah, this is a very particular bloodline, and not only is he of the bloodline, but he's pure. Yes, and... Which is also gets a little bit fucked up when you think about the racial bit of I know. It, Once you said that, I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> no. But, but then, of I course, mean, he's breaking He's right. breaking that. He's like, yeah, but I want to get with this vampire chick. Exactly. Which okay. is also kind of fucked up because the vampires are the ones coated white. 
I know, man, that's fucked up. But, <laughs> but he's he's by association black. I yeah, yeah. Especially he's trans black at the end. He's opaque. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I'll give him something. I don't want to keep repeating myself. They had to sell to white people somehow. Is what we're getting at. <laughs> Yeah, I, I just think this is a clever film, man. Like, overall, it's a fun film. It, yeah, it's a little long. I kind of zoned out the second time through just because I, I kind of knew what I wanted to say, and so most of it was just me writing some of the, the history down. Not that we have to go through it or nothing like it, because I don't really want to, but it helps me make sense of what this film was trying to do both beforehand mm-hmm. in terms of the prequel stories and then the sequel as well. And I'm like, okay, this makes sense. Looking at all this stuff, knowing who some of these people are, knowing like one, I don't, he's not, well, I can't say that, but there's one character who's a direct descendant of the original. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, oh yeah. And this is why Michael, oh yeah, nice. Okay. This is all right. I'm on board. Let's see what happens. Cause there's one character. I haven't even named it yet. That's another part of that whole family. As I remember in the second movie, if you didn't catch all of that in the first movie, there's a very blatantly super heavy expository scene that even though it is like a really bad exposition dump, <laughs> yeah. even now I kind of remember loving it because of how much info it gave. And I was like, oh, I like this universe. So yes, give me this info. Like, Yeah, no, I really liked it because they set it up as, as like, it's a myth. And it's like, no, we have a common descendant, a common ancestor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's going to reveal itself. I'm sure it did because, I mean, hell, this, there's fucking five films in this series. I just haven't, I don't know where I left off. And even if I did pick up after this, I can't remember. It's been that long. I wish the movie wouldn't assume that we just knew or could figure out that these vampires are going by Anne Rice rules, though. Mm. Where what determines their power is literally just getting older. Gotcha. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because that, that was one sense. of that's yeah, one of the that things I remember sense. from reading the the Anne Rice Vampire Chronicles books is that I think there's there's probably other ways to gain power, but legitimately one of the things with her vampires is that just the older you get, the more powerful you become. It doesn't matter if you've been doing anything at all. Yeah, yeah, it's just by virtue alone, mm-hmm. by virtue of being a vampire. Yeah, you just get more and more powerful. Shit, as dude, it goes just on. lay back, lay low. You get powerful. Yeah, uh, hang out in the cave, whatever. Well, and that's the like, and that's why, even though all these other vampires are getting royally fucked up by the lichens, now he's able to just fucking choke slam rays. Like, yeah, see, because he's well, it seems like he's been around since the what fourth, fifth century, something mm-hmm. like that. So yeah, homie's got some strength. <laughs> yeah, and that's legit just from hanging out. Should we talk about him a little bit, Victor? Since he's, I mean, he's a main character in this one, and he gets yeah. offed. So from what I gathered, and this is not a surprise or a spoil. I mean, it is a spoiler if you don't know, but that he was a dying warlord and he was a Hungarian general. And he was, he was pretty much pitched the idea of being immortal in return for his military expertise mm-hmm. and hunting the lichens. And in return, his army eventually would become the death dealers, which is what Selena is a part of. Yes. So that's why she has like this really close allegiance and why she has like this militaristic kind of background, if you will. It's like, okay. But then they have that whole like dynamic, which is really interesting. But Victor himself was 
chose out. Hey, I guess he was like one of the first elders, wasn't he? I mean, aside yeah. from like being uh, a direct descendant. I'm, yeah, I'm trying to remember because I think most of that was explained in Rise of the Lycans, which I did watch. I've seen yeah. a couple times. Even though that one being the prequel, that is mostly set in the time period where he's a vampire warlord, not an elder, gotcha. and not like a Hungarian warlord. Gotcha. So this is and an I think there's fact. just yeah. and I think there is either flashbacks or exposition or both that tell the rest of that in that okay. movie because really it would have cool. been much you know, closer in time period and much more relevant. In that flip. Yeah. Just like said, the little bit that I read, because I keep alluding to Marcus, like mm-hmm. he was supposed to be the one, that whole ceremony they were, you know, bringing that covenant together for. Yeah. Cause it was, because it was be his time, time to wake up. Right. 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 And you're like, well, who the fuck is Marcus? You're like, but that's the whole point is like, Marcus is a direct descendant of, uh, was it Michael? Um, was it Ma- Michael or Matthew? Matthew? Something like that. No, Alexander, I think it was. Oh Yeah. Yeah, because whatever we'll get into him at some other point. It is Alexander. I wrote it down. It was the the first immortal? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, and so his direct descendants, his sons were Marcus. And I think it was William. I think it was something like that. And so one got bit by a bat. One, one got, got bit, bit by, by a wolf. wolf. <laughs> All right, and so with that being said, Marcus was the one who bit Victor in return. And one stayed pure. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I'm trying to. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm trying to think how it worked with. The hybridization. There was three brothers, or I think it was just the two brothers. It was just the two. Yeah. Where did where did anyway? Whatever. I'll rewatch. Yeah, the it's like at it some will point. I like these movies. I'll rewatch them. Exactly. But the whole point being is like it gives you a little bit more understanding of like said those relationships, who these people are, why they are in these you know positions of power and so forth mm-hmm. and such. I was like, okay, none that this once again this film was thought out. It's clever. Not a bad, you know, journey from paper to fucking film. <laughs> not yeah, bad. Not bad. Yeah, no, I, I dug it. I'm really glad we watched it. Likewise. Yeah, if nothing else, it was just a good rewatch. I'm not sure if I have anything else on it, though, other than no. I enjoy it. Yeah, like I said, if you haven't seen it and we've, you know, been pitching it this long, it's it's definitely worth checking out, man, even if this is the one you leave off on. Mm-hmm. Uh, next week is 30, 30 Days of Night. Dude, I'm excited about that one for a lot of different reasons. I almost said 28 Days Later, and I was like, we have done that movie already. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I get it because we're playing with, you know, days here. That same time Numbers. period, right? Roughly, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Early 2000s, roughly. Mm-hmm. 30 Days a Night. That's going to be fun. I haven't yeah. watched this movie in a hot minute. It's been a few years for me, but it's the return of Josh Hartnett for us mm-hmm. again. Uh, Danny Houston, a few others. It's going to be fun. Honestly, I think I'm going to enjoy it. We'll find out for sure, but I think I'm going to enjoy it more this this time than the last time around. Not that I didn't enjoy it last time, but I think think I'm in a spot to get more out of it this time around. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it, man, and I've got a a pretty decent copy of it, and I'm sure it's got some behind-the-scenes features, so I'm looking forward to some of that stuff. Uh, Hell yeah, well, that'll be next time. For this time, I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. Fried Squirms, out. Hi everybody, Tyler here. If you like the podcast, please hit subscribe however you're listening to us right now. Also, if you could rate and review us however you're listening to us, or preferably over on Apple Podcasts, that'd be super cool as the entire world is ran on algorithms and we want to be all up in them. Uh, We highly appreciate it whenever you tell all your friends about us. If you have any suggestions, comments, questions, want us to put eyes on your current independent horror project, you can always contact us, squirmcast at gmail.com, 
or you can contact us through our website, www.friedsquirms.com. Uh, scroll through our entire back catalog there, or click the links up at the top as we are part of the Earverm Podcast Network uh, and would love it if you went and checked out some of our sister shows. Uh, the easiest way to keep track of things across the entire network is to go over to that website. That's earverm.com, E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com. Uh, you can search for us across all the social medias. If you type in Fried Squirms, we should be what pops up. I'm not going to give you all those ads. So with all of that in mind, we'd love to hear from you. Until next time. Peace.